This evening we have an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. And the Old Testament reading is our passage for the sermon later on. So I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35. Calm our hearts then to hear God's word together. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, thirsty land, springs of water. In the habitation of jackals, where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there. Nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Amen. Let's turn now to our second reading in the scriptures, which is John's Gospel, chapter 10. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. 
But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore there was a division again amongst the Jews because of these sayings. Many of them said, He has a demon, is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? (coughs) Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. Many believed in him there. Let's pray once again. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Our Father, it's our desire gathered here this evening to hear the voice of the shepherd. That Christ himself may speak to us. People may leave this place saying, I heard from Christ. I heard the words of God. And Lord, may what we hear stay with us then this week and be to us a strength. And a means of blessing as we think back on these words. 
means of encouragement and fortifying for all the challenges we face. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're in Isaiah 35, and we'll turn just to verse 8 to start with. A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. It's a picture of the Christian life. God given a prophecy here to Isaiah, 800 years or so before Christ, and he's given him a picture of our way, the Christian way, the highway of holiness. In ancient times, if you were wandering in a trackless waste and wondering where you were, wandering through the rocks and stones and the scrub, and you came across a raised causeway cutting across the desert, you'd say to yourself, that is the king's highway. If I can just get on the king's highway, I'll have a straight road to my destination. And that is the picture here of the road that we are on, the way of our lives as Christians. The royal road of salvation, you might call it, the king's highway to glory. And the end of the highway, we'll see in this chapter, is magnificent. The end of the road you're on is magnificent. The beginning of the way, we'll see also in this chapter, how you enter the king's highway, how you come into this road, the beginning of the way, is at the cross. Where else could you begin but at the cross of Christ? We're also going to see now that the journey along this way is safe. It's a safe road. Your Christian way, the highway that you're on, the royal road, well, the end is magnificent. But you begin at the cross, as you began, many of you, many years ago, perhaps. But the journey is safe. It's a safe road to travel on. And the point of all this just by way of introduction still, is in verses 3 and 4. This is the reason God gave the message to Isaiah. It was a means, a blessing, even to those people back then, 800 years before Christ, and it's still meant to do the same for us today. Hands are weak. Hands hang weak in Christian service. We lack energy. We lack vigor in serving Christ. Our hands hang down. We become weary and disillusioned. So this is a message to strengthen weak hands in serving the Lord. Knees become feeble. We no longer stand firm as we once did. We feel we're too liable to be pushed around and shifted here and there by different people's opinions. We're easily swayed. This message is to make firm the feeble knees. And then we become fearful hearted. Verse 4. Anxious. Troubled by worries and concerns and distracting thoughts and possibilities and prospects. Say to the fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. This is a message for those whose hands are weak, whose knees are feeble and whose hearts are fearful. Be strong because you're on the royal road, the king's highway, the road of salvation. So what can we say from this chapter about the end of that road? I saw an advert on the train just coming up on Friday. Welcome to Wonderland. And you see that advert and you think, am I going to bother reading that then? No, I'm not going to bother. I mean, it sounds great, doesn't it, Wonderland? But it's, you know, some different <coughs> brand of cosmetics or something, or it's some new drink. It's not Wonderland. It's not that amazing. They make it sound amazing, but they're just trying to sell me something that's slightly cheaper or slightly fancy or whatever it is. Ignore the whole thing. And it's a shame to have to think that way about these words and this terminology because when we turn to the scriptures, we find some things that truly are wonderful. 
where we should be amazed. And it's too easy sometimes just to bring that same slightly cynical attitude even to the word of God. What he's talking about here is a wonderland. The prospect of the end of the road. The world to come. He talks, for example, in verse 1 and 2 about a wilderness that rejoices and blossoms. And blossoms abundantly and rejoices. And it's possible to think of this as a picture of the new Christian heart. And to say a barren heart that was fruitless now becomes fruitful and flourishing to the praise of God. We're told, aren't we, that as Christians we're a new creation. But surely also this is a picture of the world to come. When Christ returns, he makes new this creation. He renews the world that we live in. And the waste places, the deserts that are spreading all the time, literally, they will be transformed into fertile land and beautiful land. Land of greenery and grasses and all these things that we read about here. If you are there in verse 2, you've got mention made of Lebanon, which was famous in those days for its magnificent cedar trees. I don't know if they still grow there now. But in the Bible, they were proverbial for strength and beauty, height and majesty. Carmel is mentioned there. Carmel then back in the day was a, a pasture land for sheep. You remember Nabal with King David. Uh, Nabal was a fool. But even though he was a fool, he'd become a very rich man because he could pasture his sheep at Carmel. Sharon also was good pasturing land. But you also read in the Bible of the Rose of Sharon. So that then was a place of beauty and flowers as well as grasses and reeds and good food for the flocks. And this is a picture then of the abundance and the beauty of the new world that will be ours at the end of this highway, this road of salvation. And you get more of the same down in, in verse, verse 7. Parched ground. Well, the environmentalists say that these deserts are spreading, actually, year by year. The Sahara Desert there is pushing down into the fertile land and the pasture lands of sub-Saharan Africa and there are places which used to have water and life and habitation which are now deserted and dry and abandoned the reverse will happen when the Lord returns because there will be water there will be strings of water there will be life there will be in verse 6 water in the desert and everything will be made new and beautiful there will be no more environmental concerns then no more worry about species going extinct and rainforests being cut down and all that everything will be made magnificent in the new creation. As mentioned here made, if that's not enough, as mentioned here made of the new resurrection body. Verses 5 and 6. Now again, yes, to be fair, the Lord Jesus quotes these words. You might remember that John the Baptist came to him. John the Baptist sent his followers to him and they said, Is, are you the one to come? Or should we wait for someone else? John the Baptist was in prison. He wasn't sure about Jesus Christ at that point. And the Lord more or less quotes these words of his own miracles. Because he was opening the eyes of the blind at that time. And unstopping the ears of the deaf and so on. However, even this then is a picture of the great work of resurrection and healing. That he will accomplish when he returns. The complete healing and health of the new resurrection body. There's a pastor I know from my days in Watford. I just, I, I say I know him, I see him on Facebook mainly. And he's one of those pastors of a, a more modern church, if you like, where the pastor's the pastor and his wife's the pastor as well. And I always thought in Watford, oh, well, I'm not too sure about all that. 
But um, I saw on Facebook that his wife's quite seriously ill. And um, she's quite seriously ill with cancer. And there's a lot of posts on Facebook on all the things they're doing together. And the holidays they're going on and the visits they're going on. As, as if really this is getting towards the end. So of course it's quite sad to see that. And she put a post on there about healing. And I thought, oh dear. But this is what she said. We believe in complete healing in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether in this age or in the age to come. And that lifted my heart. I thought, praise the Lord. That's exactly it, isn't it? Complete healing. Complete healing in Christ. This age or the age to come. And that was her hope. And I thought that was wonderful. Because it's right, isn't it? Um, in the resurrection body, a blind man will see. In a resurrection body, someone with a hearing aid won't need it anymore. In the resurrection body, those who need Zimmer frames and walking frames and wheelchairs will have no more need of them because they'll be able to leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb will sing. Complete healing from chronic pain, from backache, from headaches, from migraines, from diabetes from even having to wear glasses, all that will be finished and gone. And how wonderful that will be. I have a, a friend of mine who told me that he, he feels he's come through middle age now, and he's now in the waiting room age, where you're on the plastic chairs at the surgery or the clinic or whatever for one thing or another, and if it's not for you, it's for your wife, and that's the age he feels he's in now, the waiting room age. Well, there'll be no more of that in the new creation with these magnificent new bodies that the Lord has promised us at the end of the way of salvation. And the road leads to the city of God then, going on in these wonderful things. Verse 10, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion, the city of God. All the Lord's people gather together there. Like the great urban centers of our world today, where there's so many people, so much potential, so many possibilities. But in this city, no loneliness. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone's friends with everyone. Everyone gets on well with everyone. There's fellowship throughout the great city of God. The people are at peace with each other and pleased to see each other and delighted in each other in that great conurbation that is to come down from above. The great heavenly city. And what gladness there will be at the end of this road. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, verse 10, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What a day of happiness. No more depression. No more weary sighs in the morning. No more tablets, medication to try and keep the mood up. All that will be gone. The word obtain there, obtain joy and gladness, I understand from the people who know a bit about the Hebrew language, that the idea is that you finally catch up with it. You seize hold of it at last. It's as if through our lives here, we're running after happiness. We're running after joy in the Lord and gladness in the Lord. And for a moment we seem to have it. And our hearts are lifted up. But then it eludes us and runs on ahead of us again. And we've got to try and seize that gladness. Finally, when we come to Zion, we shall obtain Joy and gladness. Everlasting joy. What a day that will be. And the best thing really there, we've passed over it. 
going back there now to verse 2, the best thing, the central thing, the most amazing thing. At the end of the verse there, we're talking about the excellence of Carmel and Sharon and so on, but what about this? They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. With your own eyes, you'll see these things. You'll see him. You'll see the face of God. You'll see him in all his glory. What a day that will be. And this, friends, this should fill our, our, our hearts then with, with anticipation and with hope. Here's how Matthew Henry put it. Our joyful hopes and prospects of eternal life should swallow up both all the sorrows and all the joys of this present time. So whatever it is that we have that gives us sorrow and sighing, whatever we have that gives us happiness and distraction and entertainment, this is bigger. The hope we have of glory to come should swallow it all up and fill our souls as we think about the end, the magnificent end of the King's Highway. But how do you get onto this road? It's not for everybody. Nobody's born on the King's Highway. You don't just uh, uh, stroll onto it or turn up on the road by accident. Verse 8. The unclean shall not pass over it. Only certain people can walk this road. No unclean can walk there. Well, how do we, how do we deal with this then? How do, we, how do we overcome this problem? In the book of Job, you remember that um, Job's three friends didn't speak well. And they were rebuked in the end. But they said some good things, the friends of Job. They said some good things. What do you think about these words of Eliphaz from Job chapter 15? I'm looking at verses 14, 15 and 16 of Job 15. See if you agree with him here. What is man? That he could be pure. And he who's born of a woman, that he could be righteous. Good question. What is man that he could be pure? If God puts no trust in his saints, and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is abominable and filthy, who drinks iniquity like water? Well, those words weren't particularly comforting to Job, perhaps, but they're true enough, aren't they? What are we as human beings? What are we in ourselves? There was something in the paper about the cave paintings they've discovered recently. Uh, ancient people put, the, put, put a hand on the wall of the cave and draw a silhouette round it, and they found some of these paintings. And uh, they found paintings of, of a hand with three fingers instead of four, or a hand with just one finger, and three fingers have been cut off. And what they think was happening there was these primitive peoples, whoever they were, would cut off a finger in order to appease the gods and to win favour and blessing. What a brutal practice. What a cruel idolatry that was. And yet they had an instinct there, I think, for something. They were groping after something that's true, which is that cleansing before God and the favour of God can only come at a terrible price. But it's a price that was paid by Christ. Think of it, worse, far worse than a finger being cut off. Execution on a cross. The horrible, brutal, savage execution of crucifixion to pay the price 
so that we could be clean. That's why in our chapter 35 of Isaiah, that's why it talks about God coming with vengeance, payment for sin, judgment, recompense. And then at the end of the verse, it says he'll come as saviour. Why? Because the vengeance and the recompense fell on Christ. That's why we're told at the end of verse 9 of Isaiah 35, the redeemed walk on the road. Those who've been purchased at a price, ransomed in verse 10, the same meaning. Those whose sins have been paid for in the death of Christ, they're the ones who come onto the highway then. That's where you begin. You start at this point. You know, the old chorus, there's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. You know this one. There's a door that is open and you may go in. At Calvary's cross is where you begin. That's the start. That's the starting point. Anyone who's never come to the cross in this way with their sins has never begun. They could be a church goer, church member. But they've never begun on the king's highway, the royal road. Until they've come to Christ for cleansing. By the way, it's not too late. It's not too late to do that. But if you have come, you were spotless from that moment in God's sight. Spotless. And you remain spotless today. And you say, well, I, I, as a Christian, I've, I've, I've not really lived a, a particularly good Christian life. I've, I've fallen short in so many ways. The things I should have done, the things I shouldn't have done. I've said things, I shouldn't have said things, I should have said things. But you're spotless Forever cleansed at the cross of Christ. Now I just, I just, <laughs> I hope this isn't too embarrassing for him. I just, I just thought perhaps um, I'd, I'd use our pastor here as, a, as an illustration. I hope that's all right, sir. <laughs> I don't, I don't know whether this is anything like what happens in reality, but imagine somebody, somebody rather rings up a pastor Billy and says, "Billy, we, we want you to come and, and speak at an outreach meeting we've got. We're inviting non-Christians there." We want you to come and speak for us. And Billy perhaps thinks to himself, well, that's great. I've got this gospel sermon ready on, on Mark's gospel. I'd love to go and preach that sermon. But they say, no, brother, we want you to bring your testimony. And he thinks, oh, I've got to go through all that again. All that background, all that past, I've got to bring it all back up. And he thinks, but I was cleansed. I was cleansed from all that. I can tell them Christ cleanses sinners. That's a message, isn't it? But we can all say that. We can all say that. We might not have had the dramatic past, but we've been cleansed from our sins. And you know what? It's important then to remember this as Christians. I'll ask you to turn to a scripture with me. We'll come back to Isaiah, but I'll ask you to turn to a scripture in 2 Peter. In his first chapter, 2 Peter talks about Certain good qualities we should have as Christians. He talks about virtue and brotherly love and kindness and knowledge and these kind of things. And then, if I can just find it here, he explains the source of this Christian growth. Self-control is mentioned there and love and knowledge and so on. He says in verse 9, if you lack these things, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 9, you're blind, you're short-sighted, you've forgotten that you were cleansed from your own sins. 
You've forgotten. Remember how you began the Christian life at the cross. Remember that cleansing from sin. Remember what you were. Remember that now you're spotless in God's sight through Christ and his death. And what a change that will make to your Christian life and discipleship today. Helping you to grow in all these good qualities that Peter lists here in the previous verses. The beginning of the highway, the beginning of the royal road of salvation, the beginning of the way is at the cross. Never forget how you began. Never forget it. Well, we're back in Isaiah now. The end of the road, the beginning of the road. What about the journey along the highway? What about our lives now as Christians then? What can we learn from this chapter? Well, we're told it's a way of holiness to start with in verse 8. The highway of holiness. Personal holiness then is important on this road. Our personal character is to reflect the character of God, his integrity, how kind he is, how generous he is, how forgiving, how patient he is. How thoughtful of others, concerned with the needs of others. We're to develop all these characteristics and many others besides because we're walking on a way of holiness. There's a call to leave off sin and to cultivate the character of God on this road. But could you lose your way on this road? Is it a safe way? Is it secure? We read about lions and ravenous beasts in verse 9. And I suppose in ancient times, if you were on the king's highway, you would keep an eye out for these. Because the lion might come up from the wilderness or a pack of jackals or whatever. You would have to watch out for them. It's impossible for us is it, to read those words and not think of Satan, the evil one, who prowls around like a devouring lion. And we imagine then if we're, we're on the road to glory, that then you, you, this, this fierce beast comes up alongside the road and starts howling and growling and making a terrible frightening noise <clears throat> but what we're reassured here yes he can come alongside he can intimidate or tempt but he cannot come up and attack he cannot come up and attack the Christian on the king's highway no lion shall be there nor any ravenous beast shall go up on it it shall not be found there yes Satan is active but his power is limited he might attempt to draw you away from that road of obedience and leading to glory, but he cannot force you off it. Great power and authority he has, but he cannot ultimately prevent your walk along the road of salvation, the road that leads to glory. As James puts it, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You do not have to yield or give way to him. You may stand up to him and then he must back off and leave you to carry on down that royal road. Even a fool can walk on this road. Can you see that in verse 8? Whoever walks on the road, although a fool, should not go astray. How reassuring is that? Do you find that reassuring? I do. If I am not very sensible, if I'm not very wise in Christian things, if I'm not very knowledgeable in the scriptures, if I'm not very good at discerning the will of God, if I frequently forget the things that I ought to know, and don't implement the things that I ought to be implementing, and don't pursue the things I ought to pursue, if I'm really somewhat of a fool in spiritual things, I'm told even so, that I won't miss the way. I can walk that road and not go astray. Here's Matthew Henry again. 
people of limited understanding and weak capacity will hear this plain, straightforward message taught them by the Spirit and so arrive at their destination. Limited understanding and weak capacity. But we still won't go astray because we're on the King's Highway and it's a safe road. You will walk this highway to the end. In spite of your lack of great understanding, your lack of deep insight, your lack of wisdom and so on, you may walk this highway to the end. And I suppose the great thing, really, in terms of how safe we are in this Christian life, is to think of what Jesus said about the way. Well, you remember this, you you know this verse, because Philip said to him, we don't know where you're going, how shall we know the way? And he said to Philip, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. So this then tells us that here we are, on the road to salvation, on the road to glory, and Christ is walking that road with us. Christ accompanies us. He is alongside us. We can be sure of our destination because of the one who comes with us on the way, the one who said, I am the way. I am the truth, so you'll learn everything you need to know. I am the life, so you'll have all the spiritual energy and strength and vigor that you need to walk that road. It's a straight and easy road because Jesus Christ walks it with you. I would be so bold as to suggest that when we think we have it figured out and we've got it all understood and we've got it all clear in our minds and we know and we're wise and we're sensible and we're sorted, that's when we get into trouble. When we look to the Lord Jesus and say, walk with me, guide me. I'm not able by myself, but with you I can do it. Another day down the road, another day towards glory. Walk this day with me. Scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Stay close to Jesus Christ. And he will give you all that you need and accompany you all the way to the end. That's a safe road, the King's Highway. The way, the highway of holiness... The road, the royal road to glory. The end of that road is magnificent. Fix your hope on that. Often remind yourself of what's waiting for you in the world to come. Often think of the great and wonderful things that will be yours in the day of resurrection. The end is magnificent. The beginning's at the cross. That's where you begin. Remember, Christian brother, Christian sister, remember how you were cleansed from sin. Think of it often. Think of what you were. Think of how God sees you now in Christ. Think of the cross. The price that was paid. But the way itself is a safe and secure highway. Most of all because Jesus Christ walks it with us. So be strong. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Don't be anxious. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, be strong, do not fear. God is our salvation. He's come to save us and we will see him face to face in the end. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the highway of holiness.
the king's highway, the royal road that we're on, the way. We thank you for the glimpse we've had of the end of that road. What an extraordinary future you've promised to us. We thank you that you've reminded us how we started on that road, through the cleansing of the blood of Christ, the cleansing of sin. And we thank you that this road is safe and secure. Even a fool may walk on it. Lord, we are reassured and encouraged. And we pray that we might be helped to remember these things as we need them. In Christ's name, Amen. Amen.